0: Well, I want to welcome you to the City Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online or at one of our Hope City campuses. We are excited. You guys are joining us right now. And we are in the middle of a series called Twisted. In this series, we're taking some of the most commonly misinterpreted and misquoted verses that we have twisted. And we're looking at what they really mean. We're untwisting some of the most commonly misinterpreted and misquoted quoted verses. And to get started today, uh, let me ask you a question. Let's just see. Let's do a poll here. Who is the toughest when sick? Okay. So, so how many of you would say women moms are the toughest when it comes to like being sick? Okay. Most everyone, how many of you would say, no, it's the men or the dads that are the toughest when sick? Okay, a couple dudes raise their hand. I, I, I like your honesty. Way to go. How many of you would say it's our kids? Our kids are the toughest. Kids' hands go up. Our kids are the toughest when it comes to being sick. Like they're the toughest, least amount of drama. Okay, and I, I saw one child's hand. That, that was it. Okay, well, in our house, it's the same thing. You know, my wife's the, the toughest when it comes to, to being sick. How many of you would say, let's see a show of hands, you know someone. In this room, that's pretty dramatic when they're sick. How many of you know someone in this room, like right now, that's really dramatic? Okay, got some elbows going. I see it, I see it. All right, all right. Well, if you're a parent, uh, you know that it can be a messy situation when your kids get sick, right? I mean, over Christmas, uh, we had some kids that were sick, my daughter was sick, and uh, before she could make it to the bathroom, she threw up all over a Christmas tree that was in her room. So not only was I cleaning up like her bed and the carpet, like I was having to individually clean like every little branch on her Christmas tree to get all the throw up off her Christmas tree. My son, when he was young, Like preschool age, Levi. He's 12 now, but when he was like in preschool, he he said this one of the wisest things I've ever heard. He said this, Dad. When you're sick, sometimes a toot is not a toot. Wisest thing I ever heard. You need to remember that. If you didn't know that, when you're sick, sometimes a toot's not. Uh, Now, maybe when you've been sick or wives, when your husband's been sick, you just can't take it anymore. When your kids have been sick, you just can't take it anymore. Like, Jesus, heal them, right? I can't take any more of their drama, right? Heal them. Heal me. Heal them. And maybe you even said this. By his wounds, by his stripes, I am healed. Or they're healed. Jesus, heal them. By his wounds, they're healed. Maybe you've heard that or said that or prayed that before. Where does that come from? Where where does that like thought come from or the idea that by his wounds or by his stripes? And who's he, right? We're we're talking about Jesus, that by the wounds or the stripes of Jesus that we could claim or pray for healing by his wounds. Where, Where does that come from? Well, if you got your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. That's where this verse is found. We're going to look at what the Bible actually says here. We're going to look at this verse in context. And maybe, maybe you're going to be surprised because maybe you've realized you've had this verse twisted. So let's look at it. Here's what's happening here in Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying Uh, oftentimes against the nation of Israel. They're in captivity. They're in uh, captivity because of the, the punishment of their sin. They've been warned of this. They're in captivity. Isaiah's prophesying to Israel in their captivity. And he would tell them there's a Messiah coming. There's one coming uh, that's going to save you and is going to restore you back to a relationship with God and is going to reign on David's throne forever. There's this Messiah that's coming. And here's what's interesting is that Isaiah the prophet is prophesying some 700 years before the time of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And in the Old Testament, okay, now we're talking about the whole Old Testament. In the Old Testament we see over 300 prophecies about this Messiah that's to come. That's going to restore the nation of Israel, is going to be this king. Uh, Some prophecies say that this would be this suffering servant who would die in the place of our sin that would be the ultimate lamb sacrifice and would restore this kingdom to Israel. So over 300 prophecies about this Messiah and what we would learn about Jesus a thousand years later is that he would fulfill all of them. Now watch this. For one person, for one man to fulfill even just 48 of those 300 prophecies would be one times 10 to the 157th power. So, it's a sheer impossibility for one person to fulfill all of the prophecies, but much less, even just 48 of the 300. It would be impossible for one man to fulfill all of them. Yet Jesus did, pointing to his supernatural nature, his divine nature, that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God, he was the Messiah. So that's Isaiah 53. That gives you a little context, a little background. And here in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is prophesying about this Messiah. And there was two different kinds of prophecies oftentimes about the Messiah. One was was that he would be this conquering king, that he would come and, and rule and he would rule the nations and he would restore this kingdom to Israel that they had lost. But the other kind of prophecies about the Messiah were what is known as the suffering servant kind of prophecies. Israel, Hebrews, the Jews, they didn't know what to make of these because they were kind of totally opposite of the conquering king kind of prophecies that they really liked the ones that were gonna restore them to power. It's why the disciples would ask Jesus things like, are, "Are Jesus, now are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and places of things like, like that. But that's, they, they were really caught up with that. It's one of the reasons Judas was so upset and betrayed Jesus. He thought Jesus was going to be this Conquering King, and he's learning, and he's saying, "That's that's not who this guy is." And so we would find out, we would learn that these prophecies refer to two different comings of Christ. That the first coming, Jesus was going to the Messiah was going to be the suffering servant, but on his second coming, that's yet to come, he would return as a conquering king. But in Isaiah fifty three, we see these prophecies of this suffering servant who would die in our place for our sin. And so in Isaiah 53, here's what Isaiah writes. Isaiah 53 verse five says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And now watch, and by his wounds, we are healed. There it is, right? There's the verse. By his wounds I'm healed. By his wounds you are healed. And so that's where we get this. If you've heard this before, if you've prayed this before, if you've said this before, if you've believed this to be true about yourself. This is where this verse comes from when Isaiah said, "By his wounds we are healed." And so if we just take this verse out of context, and we just kind of take it at its kind of English face value, the way that we've translated this, we would say, there it is. There's my claim for healing in Jesus's name because by his wounds, I'm healed. I can be healed of every disease and sickness because by his wounds, I'm healed. Well, let me ask you this. Do we ever take a verse or even just a few words and pluck them out of their original context to develop a theology about what we believe about God or his ways or his will for our life? Do we ever just take one verse or even just a few words out of one verse and say, Hey, this is what this must mean. No, we don't do that. That's dangerous. And taking these words out of context And other verses that are similar to this, other healing verses out of context, out of the scripture and just kind of interpreting them at kind of our English face value without taking the rest of the scripture into account is very, very dangerous. And this is one of the most dangerous of all because it's led to heresies that say by your faith and if you have enough faith, you can be healed of your disease and sickness. That is a dangerous heresy that has developed specifically in our country in what's called a prosperity gospel. And that unfortunately we have exported to the rest of the world. That if you just have enough faith, every disease and sickness can be healed because by his wounds, you're healed. We're healed, I'm healed. And I can claim healing in Jesus' name because by his wounds, I'm healed. And if I believe that enough, and we've been told in our country now, if you believe this enough, you can be healed of any disease and sickness. Which has left many people and some of you, maybe at different points in your life, feeling like, well, I'm not experiencing the healing and the cure that, I'm looking for or I'm seeking for when I pray this. So it must be something about me. I must not have enough faith. God must not love me if I'm not experiencing the healing that I'm claiming and I'm praying for in Jesus name. I must not have enough faith. And so it has led people to turn away from God. It has led people to be very discouraged and disillusioned. Because they haven't experienced or received the healing they're claiming in Jesus' name. Because by his wounds I'm healed. You see the danger that's there. When you just take one verse or even a few words out of context. And you begin to interpret them. Especially from an American Western point of view. So what do we do? How do we interpret scripture? Well we talked about this last week. And we recapped some things we talked about in our Creed series last summer. About how to interpret scripture. How do we untwist these verses or or any verse that we don't understand very well. And here's what we said last week. And we're going to run through this real quick. If you weren't here last week, you definitely need to get caught up We spent more time talking about how to interpret scripture, but we'll run through this real quick, just as a recap. And uh, you can fill in the blank in your notes on the app as you go. And the verses are there as well. But first of all, we interpret scripture with prayer. We've got to pray and ask God to help us to understand the scripture because in the scripture are spiritual things. And the scripture tells us that they are discerned or understood. In other words, spiritually. And so we need God to help us to understand his word because there's spiritual things discern spiritually. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So we said we interpret scripture with prayer. Secondly, we interpret scripture in context, context, context. And we said it three times, one for emphasis, but two, because what we've said is we look at the immediate context. We look at the little bit broader context of like the chapter or the book that it's in. And then we look at the whole of scripture context. What does all the scripture say about this topic? We said we interpret Scripture with Scripture. We use other verses to help us interpret this one verse. We use a lot of verses to help us interpret this one verse. We use the clear verses to help us interpret the unclear. We use the easy-to-understand verses to help us understand the harder-to-understand verses. So we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And then finally, we interpret Scripture through Jesus. Because we said last week, Jesus said that all the Scripture is about him. He told the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you're searching the scripture to find life. But, but what you don't understand is that all the scripture, all the law, the prophets, the Psalms, he said, they're, they're all about me. If you hear here last week, you heard us say that Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the, with the two guys, after he's risen from the grave, he starts telling them about all the law and the prophets and the Psalms had to say concerning himself. And so Jesus, the son of God, said all the scripture is about him. And so we interpret scripture through Jesus. Now let's go back to Isaiah 53, verse five. How do we interpret this? Well, first of all, we pray. So let's pray now and ask God to help us to understand his word. God, would you help us right now in this moment? by the power of your Holy Spirit, to understand your word here in Isaiah 53, verse five. God, we know it's your word. We believe all scripture is God. Breathe that uh, just like Peter said, as we read in the past week, God, that all scripture has its origination in you. Men spoke and wrote God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is all your word, God. And so help us to understand it. Change us, God, through your word we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Next, we interpret scripture in context, context, context. And when we do that, here is the first thing this verse is telling us about healing. Number one is that this healing that's being talked about here in Isaiah 53 verse 5 is, first of all, spiritual and relational, this healing that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 53, it is first of all spiritual and relational. You say, where do you get that from? Well, let's go back to the verse. In the immediate context here, this verb in Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word, it's a verb, is a singular action, which means this, that this healing has happened to this group, we. We. There's one kind of healing that has happened to this group of people, and that's to we. It's not a different kind of healing. It's one type of healing. This is a singular in the Hebrew word. This is a singular action. So it's one type of healing. The Hebrew word here for healed is used elsewhere in the scripture to talk about physical healing. But in the context of the verse, remember, in context, in the immediate context of the verse, what are we being healed from? Go back to Isaiah 53, verse 5. What's the context of the healing here? We're being healed from the stripes, we're, we're the, the, what, what are we, why are the stripes there? there? It's for our transgressions, Isaiah would say. It's for our iniquities, which is referring to our perversity and depravity. That, that's what we need to be healed from. It's to provide peace with God, Isaiah would say. That's what we need to be healed from. We're, we're at war with God because of our sin. Paul would say, by your very nature, you're your objects of the wrath of God in our sin. Paul would say in Romans 5, you're enemies of God in your sin. We're enemies of God. Under and objects of his wrath left to ourselves. And so Isaiah is saying that this healing, these stripes, these wounds that Jesus has received are for our transgressions, therefore, our perversity and depravity are iniquity, and they are to provide peace with God. So this healing is primarily and first of all, a spiritual and relational healing. Let's go a little bit broader, right? Let's go, let's, let's zoom out a little bit in our context and let's look at Isaiah, all of Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 verse six, the very next verse, if you were to keep reading in Isaiah 53 says this, we've all like sheep, gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. We we've gone astray. We go our own way. And so Isaiah is saying we need to be healed of this desire to go our own way, to go astray. Isaiah 53 verse 11, Isaiah says this, my righteous servant, speaking of the Messiah will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. In other words, his wounds, His stripes are for our iniquity, our perversity, our depravity, our sins. If you were to look at the entire book of Isaiah, you would find that Isaiah is prophesying the word of the Lord to Israel in their captivity. God has continued to say who he is, what he's done for them. And what he desires for the nation of Israel and would say, choose life that you might live. But listen, if you continue to rebel against me and worship idols and turn away from me and have this hard-hearted, obstinate heart towards me that God would refer to as adultery against him. He would say, if you're going to continue to go astray, then Babylon, Persia, and Assyria are going to come and take you and wipe you out and take you into captivity. And so Israel is now experiencing the punishment of their sin, their rebellion, their captives in a foreign land. But Isaiah and others would prophesy that there is a redeemer coming. There's a Messiah in the line of David that is coming to rescue you, to restore you to a right relationship with himself and to begin to inaugurate the new covenant. When you look at the whole context of scripture, if we were to zoom out and look at the way Paul and others would interpret these verses, Paul would write this in Romans four, verse 25. He, Jesus was delivered over to death for what? So we could be healed of a physical temporary sickness? No. Paul would say in Romans 4 verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our trespasses and was raised to life for our justification. He was delivered over to death. In other words, he received his wounds, his stripes, the nails for our sin, for our trespasses. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Christ died by his wounds, by his stripes. You are healed spiritually and relationally because Christ died for our sins. First Peter Peter would write this in 2 verse 24. If you've been reading with us, you read this probably a week ago or so. Peter said this He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. So by his wounds and, and his stripes, he received, Peter said, for our sins. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then Peter actually quotes this verse because by his stripes, Peter would say, you are healed. You're healed of what? Your sins. You're you're healed of death itself because the penalty, the punishment of sin is death itself. And so Peter said, you need to be healed of that. And by his wounds, by his stripes, your sin has been paid for. We've said that we need to interpret scripture through Jesus and Jesus would say in Matthew 26 at the last supper when they were taking their last Passover meal together. And up until this point, the Passover has been all about looking back to when God sent the angel to wipe out the firstborn son of every Egyptian and told them to put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. If you read your Bible, maybe you've heard the story, and and the angel comes down, the angel of the Lord, and and if you had the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, the the angel would pass over your house. And and if you didn't, then the firstborn son in your family was wiped out, and it was a, a punishment for the sin of Pharaoh and the sin of the Egyptians and their rebellion against God, their idolatry. But the Jews who put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost of their house, the angel of the Lord passed over them. Death passed over them. And so up until this point, the Lord's Supper, or the Passover meal that they were taken and had would have been taken together beforehand was always looking backwards to this Passover that they escaped death by the blood of the lamb. But now, in Matthew 26, Jesus is taking the Passover meal the last time with his disciples, and he says this: He hands them the, the bread, and he hands them the wine that they would have always taken before looking back. And Jesus says, "Now we're going to look forward." Because this bread I'm handing to you represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And it represents the wine, represents the blood, my blood that's going to be shed for you. Jesus would say for your sins, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself would say the wounds, the stripes I'm about to receive are for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sin. And so Jesus makes it clear that he died not because of some physical sickness or ailment or disease that we have, but because of a spiritual sin problem. You see, sickness, disease, death itself are symptoms of a much deeper root problem. Scripture is telling us there's a deeper and more meaningful healing that is needed here, that just a physical healing would be stopping short. It would be a surface level healing when we really need to be healed at the deep root core of the problem, that in our hearts we are sinful and rebellious against God. We need a deep spiritual heart healing. The scripture is telling us that this sickness that we all experience, the disease, the death and decay that our bodies experience is just an outward physical sign of an inward spiritual reality. And we say that about baptism all the time. Baptism is a public symbol. It's an outward physical symbol of an inward reality. When you're baptized, it represents going from death to life, that you're dead in your sin. But when you give your life to Jesus, you come up out of that water and you're alive now in Christ with a new life. Well, sickness, the outward sicknesses that we all experience, the disease and the decay our bodies experience is just an outward physical symbol of an inward spiritual reality that we are sick with sin. When Jesus died, Matthew records Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we learn that in that moment when Jesus took on all the sin of the world for eternity past and into the future, that when Jesus took on the sin of the world, his father, God turned his back on him And Jesus cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what I hope you hear this morning and what I hope you see and realize is that God forsook Jesus in that moment. God turned his back on Jesus in that moment so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on you for all eternity. As you paid the fine of your sin, eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Do you feel, do you sense, do you see the relational force there that God turned his back on his son he forsook his son in that moment so that he wouldn't have to do it to you for all eternity. Can you feel the relational force? That Jesus' wounds, his stripes, were for your sin that you might be healed of sin so that God wouldn't have to turn his back on you for all eternity while you suffered for your sin in hell do do you feel the relational force there because this healing is first of all and primarily spiritual and relational secondly this healing is complete and eternal This healing in Isaiah 53 is complete and eternal. This word healed in Hebrew is what's called a perfect tense. It's in a perfect tense, which means this. Number one, it's already happened in full and no more healing is needed. If you've been healed by Jesus, then it is full and complete and eternal and no more healing is needed. Secondly, the perfect tense in Hebrew means this, is that it is outside of time. This has happened outside of time, which means this, it's for all times for past, present, and future. This healing is past, present, and future. It's why this word cannot first mean a physical healing, at least not directly, because we get sick over and over and over and over again. But this healing in Isaiah 53 verse five, in the tense, because it's in a perfect tense, is a perfect and forever kind of healing. When we look at the whole of Scripture, we we zoom out on our context here. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God, again, prophesying through Jeremiah about what this new covenant would be and what the new covenant would do and what would happen in the new covenant. That through the Messiah, God would say this, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Like, I'm going to remember their sin no more. Their sin will be cast as far as the east is from the west. It is total, it is complete, and it is eternal. Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25 says this, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood and therefore is able to save forever those who come to him. Isn't that great news? That Jesus is your high priest, Christian, Forever. And that because of his wounds and by his stripes, you are saved forever when you come to follow Jesus. Hebrews 7 verse 27 says this. He was sacrificed for their sin once and for all. It's complete and eternal. Hebrews 9 28. Christ sacrificed once to take away sins. Hebrews 10 verse 10. He has been, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. Hebrews 10 verse 12, when Jesus had offered for all time, one sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 10 verse 18, where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Peter would say this in first Peter three verse 18. If you've been following along with us in the daily readings on our App, you read this not long ago. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter said this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. This healing is complete and eternal. Christ died for our sins once for all time. And when you read in Revelation, we see at the very end, this new holy city coming out of heaven down to earth, to this new earth where we have these new bodies and we'll actually live forever here on a new earth in a new city with new bodies. And in Revelation, it says there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more disease, no more tears, no more death. It says all these things are gone forever. Ever. They're gone forever. You see, this healing is complete and eternal. It's gone for forever. Jesus would say this. Now we're going to interpret the scripture through Jesus in John 3 16. God loved the world that He sent His One and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. When Jesus died on the cross. He said, It is finished. It's the Greek to telestai, which means the fine for your crimes has been paid in full. In fact, in the, under the Roman government, if you went to prison, if you were paying the fine for your lawbreaking, when you had finished your time in prison, when you had finished your time served, they would stamp on the record of your crimes to telestai which meant you had paid for your fine. You had paid for your crimes in full. And that's the word that Jesus used when he dies on the cross before, before he dies. He says, it's finished, To telestai, In other words, the fine for your sin, for your crimes against God by his wounds have been paid in full. There's no sacrifice left to be made for sins if you're a follower of Jesus. Because they've been paid in full. And then finally, this healing is both needed and passive. This healing is needed and it's passive. Now you might be thinking, what what do you mean by that? Well, let let me explain again. Here in this immediate context, Isaiah 53 verse 5, when we're talking about this healing, here's what Isaiah is saying about us. That we are transgressors. We, so we've broken God's law, we have iniquities, so we're perverse and depraved, we, we are totally sinful, and we are God's enemies. And so this is the sickness that we need to be healed of, according to Isaiah. We're transgressors, we're perverse, we're depraved, we're God's enemies, we're sick. And in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for healed here, again, is in a passive voice, And so here's what that means. This action, the healing happens to us. It's something we are unable to do for ourselves today. And even then, there are ways to heal ourselves of physical sicknesses, right? We, we can heal ourselves. We can go to a doctor. We can, we can take medicine. There are ways to heal ourselves of a physical sickness. But this healing here in Isaiah 53 is clearly, when you look at it in context, something we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves because this is written, this word, in a passive voice. It's something that happens to us. It's not something that we can do for ourselves. And Isaiah would say, you can't heal yourself because of your condition. And your condition is that you are a transgressor. You're a lawbreaker. You're a sinner. You're an enemy of God. And the Bible would tell us you are dead in your sin. So there is nothing you can do to save yourself. When we interpret this again through the whole of scripture, Paul would write this in Romans 3. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Paul would say this in Ephesians chapter two, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So you can't be a good enough person to be saved. It means this, you can't do better and try harder. It doesn't mean like, it means this. A lot of times I'll talk with people and, and, and they're talking about, you know, feeling God and, 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 and meeting Jesus really maybe for the first time and they're not really too sure what to think about it and they can't really define all of it. They just know that, that something's happening in their hearts. And, and as I talk with them, they'll say, I just know that, that I need to, you know, I need to be a better Christian. I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to stop sinning. And if I can do all those things, maybe that I'll feel better about myself or I'll feel better about my relationship with God. If I can do better, if I can try harder, if I can be a better Christian." then maybe God will be pleased with me. And maybe you've said that before too. But the Bible is clear. Paul writes, salvation is not a reward for being a good person. In other words, you're not made right with God by being a good person. You're not made right with God by doing better and trying harder. You don't get into the kingdom of God by being a better person, by being a better Christian. That's not how it works. You cannot do this for yourself. You can't heal yourself of your sin of your condition before God. Acts chapter 15, we read this a few weeks ago, says this Peter, James, the other leaders in the church would say this, we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord. Jesus Christ it means you, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. you cannot heal your self? When we look at these verses through Jesus, Jesus would say this in John chapter three, right after saying, I I came to give you eternal life. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, Jesus. That's so great. You came to save us. And Jesus would say this, I came to save you because you stand condemned already before God. That's why I came. You need me. You stand condemned, Jesus said, before God. Left to yourself, you stand condemned before God. You're guilty. And so I came to save you because you are guilty and condemned. You are an enemy of God headed to hell to pay the fine for your sin. And so I came to save you, Jesus would say, because you stand condemned already. Jesus would say it like this. I came for those who know they are sick and need a doctor, not people who think they're righteous because none are righteous. I came for people who know they are sick and need a doctor. The great reformer Martin Luther would say it like this. The most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all holy God. The worst lie that man has ever conceived. The idea that we could heal ourselves, that we could make ourselves good, that we could try harder and do better our way into a relationship with an all holy God. That's impossible. You cannot do it. It's a lie from hell that you could do better and try harder your way into the kingdom of God. That's not the way it works. We are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now you might be here and you're thinking, okay, that's what this healing is. I get it. I understand that. But what about all the times Jesus healed people? Like what about all the examples in the scripture of these miraculous healings that we we see and that we read about? Well, in Mark chapter one, Jesus is doing just that. He's healing person after person after person. I mean, imagine Jesus coming and and healing people like in Lubbock and people are getting literally, that they are literally being healed of sicknesses and and diseases. It would create quite the crowd, right? I was reading this week that Jesus did most of his ministry and his miracles and his teaching in, in, in three cities that were separated by three miles apart. They called it the triangle and they were only separated by three miles, by three miles, by three miles. I mean, can you imagine a, a healer healing one person after the next in that tide of a space? The stir that would cause the people that would be interested, the people that would be coming and traveling from all over to meet this Jesus. And, and we read stories of that all throughout the gospels of people bringing their, their kids or people traveling and saying, Jesus, my, my, my child's back home sick. You know, what, what can you do? I need you to, to heal my, my child. I need you to heal me. Well, in Mark chapter one, Jesus is healing people. And with many people left, like literally with lines of people left to be healed, Jesus leaves. And it says that he goes to a solitary place by himself to pray. And the disciples are freaking out. Jesus, these people are here for you. They're they're wanting you to come and heal them. And Jesus said this, no, 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 we need to move on to the next place so that I can preach about the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus would say this, that's why I have come. Is to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus left healing people. Like he left people who needed to be healed to go and preach the kingdom of God in another town because Jesus said, because that's why I have come. You see, the physical healing was always a sign. It was a sign and a sign points to something, right? That's what a sign does. The physical healing was a sign pointing to and showing and revealing the authority that Jesus had to offer an eternal spiritual The physical healing was a sign that pointed to Jesus' authority for eternal spiritual healing. Let Let me show you what I mean with this story. Jesus sees this paralytic man who's brought his friends bring him and Jesus sees his faith in his heart. And Jesus says this, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, the teachers of the law, the religious people, they're freaking out. And they say, that's blasphemous. You can't say that because only God can forgive sin. And so how could you, a mere man, claim to be God and say that his sins are forgiven? How how could you do that? That's blasphemy. You can't say, son, your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. So they're freaking out. And Jesus says this, so that you will see the son of man has authority to forgive sin, You follow? So that you will see that I have the authority to forgive sin. In other words, so that you'll see that I'm God, that I'm the son of God. And I have the authority to forgive sin. So that you can see that, here's the sign that will help you see I have the authority to heal you spiritually and eternally, Jesus tells the man, get up and walk. And the man gets up, takes his mat and walk. The physical temporary healing was a sign that pointed to Jesus's authority for an eternal spiritual healing. Even in Acts chapter three, when Peter heals the man that was lame, this crowd gets together and they're freaking out. How did you do this? How, how, did, how did you perform this miracle? And Peter says this, it was in the name of Jesus that this man has experienced complete healing. And we believe that. That there is power in the name of Jesus to heal, to heal physically. And so we believe that and I've seen that and I've experienced that. I've seen God do miraculous, powerful things and healing people in a moment because there is power in the name of Jesus, just like Peter said. But when this crowd comes together and they're freaking out and and Peter gives glory to Jesus, that it was in the name of Jesus that this man stands before you healed right now, Peter says this, salvation is found in Jesus alone. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. So the physical healing brought the opportunity for Peter to preach the good news that we are saved by faith in Jesus and there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And you can believe that because you've seen the physical outward sign. You've seen the authority in Jesus' name to heal physically. And so now use that as a sign that points you to understand and to realize that salvation for your soul, for the sickness in your heart, for the spiritual problem between you and God is found in Christ alone. And so here's what you've got to understand is that this eternal healing is better than, it's greater than a temporary healing. This eternal healing that Isaiah is talking about, it is better, it is greater than any temporary healing. And I can prove it to you. Would you rather be healed over and over and over again in this life? of whatever disease and sickness you may experience, but not receive the eternal healing of your soul to spend eternity with God in heaven. Or would you rather never experience a physical temporary healing, but receive the eternal salvation of your soul where you will live in a place, in a new city, in a new earth, With a new body where there will never be any more sickness, disease, death, or sin. Which one would you rather have? It's not even a question. There's no hesitation in my mind. I will choose the eternal healing of my soul every single time without hesitation. It's better. And it's greater. And so follower of Jesus, let me tell you this. There is great news for you this morning. And it's this. It's that you may not always receive the temporary healing that you long for and that you're praying for. But you've already received the eternal healing of your soul if you're a follower of Jesus. Sometimes God will do the miraculous and he will heal you physically and temporarily from a disease or sickness. Sometimes that will happen. And we thank God for that. That God is a miracle worker and he still does miracles to this day that we cannot explain. He does. But many of us have experienced the the struggle and the question in our faith when we don't receive what we pray for when we don't get what we claimed in Jesus's name, when that doesn't work out, and what then? Is it that God doesn't love you? Is it that you didn't have enough faith? No. It's that follower of Jesus, you've already received a greater and better eternal healing of your soul. God has healed you if you're a follower of Jesus. He's healed you of a much deeper and greater problem in your heart you've received the eternal salvation of your soul. God's purpose is not to keep you physically alive here on this earth. I will say this over and over and over again, that's not his purpose. God's purpose through the gospel is to give you a new life in Christ, a new body where you will live forever in a new city on a new earth. That's his purpose through Jesus Christ. Many of us, On our staff are friends with a couple named Ryan and Tiffany Voigt. Some of you may know them as well. And Ryan and Tiffany, years ago, learned that they were going to have a baby boy and they were going to name him Jude. But they would soon learn that he was going to be born with three chambers in his heart instead of four. And that was going to require multiple surgeries. All of the surgeries would be life-threatening. But then, they would learn that on top of all of that, that Jude also had a genetic disorder with the average life expectancy of 12 days, but with the heart condition, combined with the heart condition, he would only last a few hours after being born. Ryan wrote in a blog that he battled between all hope being in this physical healing. He battled in all of his hope being in the healing and hopelessness in death. And he said, I thought those were the only choices, but I would learn that those were not the only options. And here's what Ryan wrote. He said this, as I sat across my dad, he asked me a question, which at that time seemed like a silly question. And he asked me this, what would be the worst possible outcome in this situation? I really didn't have to think hard at all. I told him the worst possible outcome would be for us to lose our little boy. Then he asked me what the best possible outcome would be And obviously my answer was for God to miraculously heal him and for him to be born with absolutely no defects at all. Well, after hearing the two most obvious answers in the entire world, my dad leaned back and said something that changed everything for me. He said this, if our worst case scenario happens and we have to say goodbye to him, that means he gets to spend eternity in heaven, living a life and existing in a place that is so amazing that our brains can't even comprehend. If our best case scenario happens, he'll have an incredible life story to tell people, have the opportunity to be raised by parents who love him and be able to accomplish lots of great things. So, you know, if you really think hard about it, no matter what happens, Jude wins. Based on her faith in God and belief that heaven is real, Jude can't lose. He only wins. And when Ryan Tiffany lost their son Jude, he said they went through incredible pain and brokenness. They hit rock bottom. But he said they came to believe that not only did Jude win, but because they believed that Jude won, Ryan wrote, We won too. It's so a follower of Jesus, Christian. you need to know this morning that because of his wounds, by his wounds, by his stripes, no matter what happens in this life, know this, this morning, that by his wounds, you win. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for the healing that we've received in Jesus' name. God, the eternal healing of our soul. The healing of a broken relationship between God and man. And God, as your word says in 1 Peter, as we've read this past week, that we are to now live with a great expectation and that we are to look forward to our salvation. And so God, I I pray today that you would help us to fix our eyes on the heavenly prize, the heavenly reward that's to come. God, help us to take hold of the life that's to come. Help us to look forward to this next world, this new city, this new earth, these new bodies that we will receive. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on the promised prize of heaven. God, knowing that the more that we take hold of the life that's to come, the more that we hold on to this, this promised prize, the more we can withstand these present problems. We thank you, Jesus, for your wounds and for your stripes that have brought healing to us. It's in your name we pray, amen.